Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Because when I read your book, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is the solution. I will never have another sexual related problem again. I'm just going to go down on every woman I meet. I think I've heard my mom talk about her sex life to me like three times. As far as I know, they've had sex four times and it resulted in four children. My parents are open talking about it all the time it's disgusting welcome to sex talk with my mom i'm, I'm cam poe oh, that again no let's I got keep so going excited there i know we both got excited oh, i'm cam poter and i'm karen lee poter my mother is a self-proclaimed sex expert a cougar and the world's oldest living millennial and you'll hear a little bit more about the expert part in our interview but uh my son is a stand-up comedian he's a mime and he's a Buddhist clown. We chat about sex twice a week, once on Mondays, with where we respond to your comments and questions, and once on Thursdays with, with our wonderful guests. And we do this because we want to expand your knowledge about sex in general, and we want to entertain you and make you have a good laugh and understand that parents and kids can talk about pretty much anything. If you're a long-time listener of the show, you might notice that this intro has a bit of an energy underneath it it's a lot of energy because we're both hyper as fuck we just had the best interview which you were about to hear with dr ian kerner who is a licensed psychotherapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor who specializes in sex therapy couples therapy and working with individuals on a range of relational issues and he wrote the book in 2004 he wrote the book she comes first. He's written that book and many others that have been bestsellers. He's also been on the Today Show, the Dr. Oz Show, NPR. He's featured on CNN Health all the time and New York Times. Can we get back Times. to the book? The guy is a fucking monster. Okay. In a good way. In a good in a, way. In a very, he's an animal. Basically, Cam wants to go to him on, a, on an hourly basis. I was going to say this, daily basis. He, but is, he is like my dream psychotherapist. Okay. Now, in 2004, I read his book. In um, 2000, we the story in the I interview. know, but you're not. You're jumping to ahead of the game. In 2004, I read this book. On 2000, and it meant so much to me. But in 2019, 15 years later, I get a pop quiz from this author today. You have to stay tuned and hear what he asked me. How he flipped the switch. You on were me. put on the spot right there. I was put on the spot, and I think I handled it like I think I got an A plus. Okay, I. You, you, what would you I, write? What my answer? Uh, well, you're, you were asked about three different things, and the first and second were very much the same thing, but otherwise it was good. So you give me a? B plus. B plus? A B plus, yeah. Not even an A minus? No, 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 B Are plus. you kidding me? No, it was B plus. That, well, I, I give his, on, his a... response is A plus. Okay. Okay, so, but but the question that we asked him for for this pop quiz. Is that, why does she come first? No, that is another question we asked. Oh. We asked him what 
tips do you have to help her have an orgasm? Yes, yes, yes. And then he flips it on you. You sound okay. This we have to tell them what we talked about in this interview. Go ahead. We first start well, off. That's one of the things. Okay, so she comes first is a book all about. Well, what he says is it's beyond just cunnilingus, but it's basically for me it was like an oral sex guide, and it's a way of reframing what sex should look like. It's not just about penetration, and we get into this, but. This guy comes from a background of having premature ejaculation, like me, and I was uh, amazed <laughs> like by this book. Me. Be- yeah, I was amazed by this book uh, because it, it really reframes how se- what sex should be like and also brings in women's pleasure, which I think is a thing that we all should strive for. I, I mean, didn't even get to ask him my question about how important is penis size because he doesn't focus on the penis. He focuses on what you can do as a couple. Yes. As a couple, to think of sex is not just about penetration. So we start with dick issues like premature ejaculation and erectile disorder. And the inability to to get and maintain an erection. Okay. So he explains how he works with patients to overcome those issues. Then we chat about what makes great sex and how to be better in bed, even if you're in a couple, a long-term couple. We chat about porn, about fantasies. Everything you want to know about coming and you're afraid to ask. We're very excited. I mean, and let's, I think we should just let them have the interview and, and they can experience all right, it all right. themselves. But meanwhile, I'd like to talk about something else. What? I'd like to talk about why it's important to subscribe to this podcast and then share it because so much of this stuff that we learned about all these different issues, which I'm sure you guys are all going bing, 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 like us. And that's why we're so hyper, um, should be shared with other people. Don't hold it to yourself. If you know someone who's having problems and every person does in some way in their sex life, share our podcast, especially this episode with them. Literally, I'm going to be sharing this with all my friends because well, either you- they have ED or PE <laughs> and in the and they they need to read this and also they need to understand that sex is not simply about intercourse and penetration and for women as they age um he gave us definite techniques there as well and he also talked about um the differences between men and women's brains and why it is that women are so psychologically in tune it's, it's such a strong psychological thing with women's orgasms as opposed to men who could just turn it on and off maybe more easily because it's visual for them so i would like to hear from you guys after you listen to this i want to know what resonated with you the most and if you can text us or leave us a voicemail at yes text mom that's our number yes text mom we'll play it in our monday morning after show and respond to that in other words which parts of this interview? Um, they got it. it. Which part really meant something to I you? I literally just said. I know, but re- resonate. Some people don't know what resonates. Everyone knows what resonates. Well, which one hit you? Hit the heartstrings. Which one turned on a light bulb and goes, "Ah, that meant something to me." Let I would us like know to what tell, that is. I would like to tell you that I've been, my heartstrings have been touched upon by several of these iTunes reviews that we've been receiving. Oh, let's hear it. This is one that says. Hollywood Improv, five stars by Drummer Dude. Oh, cool. Went to the show on Cinco de Mayo 2019. Was amazing. Had a blast. Thank you guys for the awesome laughs. I love it when people go see us live and they come up to us afterwards and then they write a review. I Thank love that. Thank you very much for, for coming and supporting us. Who is it? Drummer Dude. Drummer Dude. I love you, Drummer Dude. I love that when you start signaling to me like I was going to understand <laughs> what the fuck that meant. Just give me a hand gesture. That looks like, it's like a cross between a snap and a, and like a let's go. Okay. <laughs> Uh, also, one last thing. We have a Patreon if you want to s- support our show. What do you mean we have a Patreon? Patreon is a company. It's a Patreon page. We it's have a membership a Patreon page. page called patreon.com slash sex talk with my mom. 
where you can come together with other sex talkers who like this podcast and us, and we, and we communicate with each other. Well, what's the, what are the benefits? They get bonus content, like free bonus episodes. You Not get, free, but... Yeah, stickers. No. At certain levels, you get a sticker from us. It's beautiful sex talk with mom sticker. Yeah, we, and, we, and it opens up a line of communication. And it helps pay some of the bills that go into making this podcast. And that's huge. Um, so please join us on Patreon. We're doing a little uh, promo right now where if we get 50 patrons, we're going to do marijuana edibles uh, together uh, and we'll see what that goes and we're gonna have a podcast under the influence of that which is legal here in california um i'd like to add that i want to also give a, a shout out and a big thank you to ariel for setting up this interview uh thank you ariel you made you, cam's day you made my day and maybe my year i think he prematurely ejaculated at some point during that interview <laughs> I, w- I, I was literally in the shower this morning and i was like i can't believe i get to interview this guy, I read his book. It's one of my favorite books out there right now. You, I've been I've been thinking about this since 2004. I, and, and now I get to talk to him and just pick his brain for an hour. I can't believe it. And he's a sweet, sweet, sweet man. I think you guys are going to love this. You're definitely loving it. And let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the interview with Ian Kearney. Okay, it's not, it's not Kearney. I just added the E at the end of it to make it rhyme. It's Ian Kerner. I know. I did it to make it right. Enjoy. Ian, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Happy to be on the show. We are thrilled to have you. I haven't seen the Cam this thrilled in a long time. Okay. He, he, he is beyond. He's been studying and preparing for this interview more than he's ever. I've my never dear, seen you. humiliating me I, right from the start. No, no. I just want to tell you. You may know more about me or my work than I do. <laughs> he, I guarantee okay. he does. Well, here's, here's, here's what happened. My, my mom found your book first. Okay. It, let it, me explain that part. Okay? okay. Okay. So literally I'm talking. I think your book came out in 2003. He, uh, she comes first. Two thousand four. Correct. It was actually two thousand and four. Oh, two thousand and four. I, I was close, but I know this because I was on a cruise ship um, with my family, and I found the book, and I'm reading it on this cruise ship, and people are walking by, looking at the cover, which is like uh, it, it's a melon, but it looks like a vagina, or an, I'm sorry, <laughs> a vulva, and uh, I was like very intrigued by the book because it gave specific techniques on how to give cunnilingus and it just was like it, it was very, it got me very aroused obviously because it's you're very graphic in your details which is unusual because most books you know are very they gloss over it they, you, you gave specific techniques anyway my point is that with every future my husband and every future boyfriend I literally took pages out of the book and made copies for them to read oh my god <laughs> It's a, it's required reading if you're any of my husbands or boyfriends. So that's my story of Ian Kerner's She Comes First. So then she has always told me this is like the best book, okay? But I never was going to take a sex book for my mother. Why? I, I, why would I want to do that? Because I'm knowledgeable. I'll get my own knowledge somewhere else. All right. So th- I, I can tell you, I do get a lot of, um, not a lot anymore, but I do get, you know, fan mail, like a couple of emails a week. And every now and then it is either from a mother or a dad or a son, not so much daughters, saying like, I, I'm giving this book to my son because I want him to uh, know how to appreciate female sexuality. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. And that- it, it's always, that's always the greatest email I receive when that kind of generational impasse where mothers and sons, fathers and sons, daughters don't communicate around sex 
I love to see that impasse being traversed and to know that I've been a part of it. Yeah. Well, in this situation, you definitely were because, you know, eventually we, we, we invited you onto the show. You said yes. And I was like, oh, I need to read this book. And within the first two pages, you had completely reframed the way that I was viewing sex. And I came like, I, I think I called up you. Yeah. And I was like, you're not going to, how did you not give me this earlier? This I is the best to. book I've ever read. I, I have, I only, you know, I've moved around several times. We moved from Chicago to Los Angeles. And I lost a lot of the books along the way, but I did not lose this one. No, this, this, she gave me this book. It's like tattered. There's like there's <laughs> earmarks. There's posted notes. I've never seen such active reading. Yeah, it's, it's very good. You know, when I was growing up, I think the one book that we had, which is sexual, was like uh, Our Bodies Ourselves. Do you, right. Do you remember right. that? <laughs> That's about it, but it really didn't, again, give any specific techniques. Well, so go on, Cam. Okay, so anyway, for our listeners, this book relates to uh, cunnilingus and how to perform it, why it's important, and how to kind of reframe it in your mind as to be the center of the sexual experience as opposed to this this foreplay. And Ian, I would like to ask, why should women come first? C-U-M. Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, for me, the book came both uh, out of personal experience and clinical experience, but um, my personal experience was being somebody that suffered from early or, or premature ejaculation. So I was never able, um, once I realized that, um, hey, women are as orgasmic as should be. And I, I kind of grew up in a sexual vacuum as well. So, I mean, even the concepts of what our bodies are doing or what the results are was always very like sort of cloudy and without language. But once I realized that pleasure should actually be sort of experienced mutually on a level playing field, I, I really realized that I was at a profound disadvantage because uh, I couldn't do with my penis uh, what I wanted to do. And so First thing I did was sort of, um, this is going back way in my history to when I was a young adult, I think I was just nervous, embarrassed, maybe retreated from intimacy, uh, became depressed, became hopeless, and then I started reading and I started learning um, uh, about the power of the clitoris and that all of the nerve endings that really contribute to female pleasure and orgasm are located on the surface of the vulva and that and not inside the vagina and that in fact most sexual intercourse positions don't even really adequately stimulate um, the clitoris and the nerve endings on the vulva and so that even if I could last as long as I wanted to um, it wouldn't necessarily lead to uh, consistent female pleasure or orgasm and it was that early experience that actually led me eventually eventually uh, to become a sex therapist. But once I did become a sex therapist and I was early in my career and um, working and studying, um, I heard this experience from women time and time again, that they were either uh, faking orgasms, that intercourse wasn't satisfying, that sex felt sort of totally penis and intercourse um, dependent. And so I realized that while my experience was very specific, and certainly not all men suffer from early ejaculation, uh, so a lot have, of men do, but not you're, all. Oh, you're you're preaching to the choir over here. Yeah, Cam, Cam has yeah. talked so time and time again about that. So this was really generalizable to human sexuality on the whole. And uh, so that's, that's really, so it's funny because you, you talk about the book, being a book about cunnilingus, and, and I appreciated that, and that is primarily 
um, where the techniques are focused. But I think if you step back from that, there's a bigger message about, A, the value of uh, un- men understanding female sexuality from an authentic place, the value of clitoral stimulation, the importance of getting out of what I call sort of the intercourse mm-hmm. uh, discourse and really um, focusing on more ways of lovemaking than just the ways we see in movies, media, or hear about in the locker room. Yeah. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it's incredible. And I, just to go back a little bit, so when you say premature ejaculation and you were experiencing it, how what did your what did that look like to you? Well, um, you know, when you're looking at men and um, sexual issues, the three main ones that come up are premature ejaculation, erectile disorder, not being able to gain or maintain an erection, and delayed ejaculation, not being able to reach orgasm. I never had a problem with the second two. Um, I had a problem with uh, the first one. Right. And for with premature ejaculation, it tends to be less psychological and situational in its origin uh, than, say, erectile disorder or delayed ejaculation, and tends to be more... Um, uh, biological, genetic, possibly uh, inheritable. We don't know a ton uh, about the mechanisms behind premature ejaculation, but for me, it did not come from psychological anxiety. Eventually, mm-hmm. it was amplified by psycho- psychological anxiety, but it really just came from my own passion, experience of pleasure and arousal, and not being able to control it. And I guess the clinical definition of um, early ejaculation would be not being able to maintain uh, intercourse for for more than really 30 to 60 seconds. Uh, My experience was much more chronic than that. Just um, any touch to my penis um, could cause me to ejaculate. And giving pleasure as well was also so um, arousing for me that even that could cause um, early ejaculation. So I I think I had a a particularly... um, difficult and and chronic um case of early ejaculation is it, uh, i don't think it's that question. unusual though and i mean cam can attest to this i definitely I, I would probably fall into the 30 to 60 second intercourse ejaculating which is in in still it's like such an um just because of the stigma and uh it, it i just would never feel very like excited to have sex with a stranger who I didn't really trust, who I who could I could potentially risk being embarrassed in front of. We're socially told, you know, you got to go fuck the shit out of her. Or like, you know, that's what a real man would do. Yeah. And then when you can't, you know, do that, you assume that you're going to just be a shit lover. And I would think, yeah. who gives a shit? I'm fine with the 30 to 60 minutes as long as I've 30 come. 30 to 60 seconds, 30 mother. to 60 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I would not be fine with the 30 to 60 minutes, but I'm, I'd am i much rather do shorter than longer because it's like, you know, if it's all about the orgasm for the woman. So it's, as you said before, it's not because of the intercourse. It's more about the stimulation, which it, you can't always get from intercourse as well. And I've, you know, we've done this podcast for like four years now. So we've talked to several sexologists. I've, I've done 21 day masturbation challenges that would, that have taken me to the edge and, you know, the stop start technique. I've tried it all and it just, it, it does not, every time I'm with someone, especially uh, if it's a new person, if it's a new person, it's just, I'm like so sensitive that I just pop off. And, uh, but I think reading your book when I, when I realized, oh, I can actually be in control during the situation with my mouth. It's a, it's a game changer. Yeah, I think I think you know um, 
again, male sexual issues can be very difficult to work with, and they generally require, you know, combination therapy or a combination of interventions. And, you know, certainly with early ejaculation, being able to shift from intercourse to outer course, being able to create and generate in a partner physical and psychological sexual arousal, being able to be attuned to each other and to uh, enjoy that dance of arousal, and then knowing um, if you really want um, to have intercourse, knowing when to um, shift into intercourse is really important. I think, you know, just too many couples that I work with, um, their sex life is sort of... Uh, bereft of arousal, there isn't enough psychological seduction or eroticism, and everything is just organized around uh, intercourse. So that, mm -hmm. that doesn't bode well for, for anybody. Yeah. And this is all ages, right? This is not just young. It's, it, it crosses all decades. Uh, PE definitely affects men, uh, you know, across generations. It's a, it's a cliche that it's just, uh, you know, a young man's issue or mm -hmm. a guy who's sexually immature or hasn't had enough experience. Those are all just uh, myths. And, you know, I, I'm not necessarily like um, a hardcore, you know, evolutionary scientist, but I, I do uh, believe in evolution and I do believe that uh, evolution, you know, tries to uh, perfect our bodies in ways that we can uh, distribute our genes to the next generation. And um, in that sense, early ejaculation seen through the lens of uh, evolutionary fitness, not to be too technical, is actually a sign of strength and health. There, I mean, you, go. Um, there you go, Cam. You're really strong. <laughs> I mean, just like in, in what way would nature uh, or evolution select uh, for men to have extremely um, long periods before reaching ejaculation. That just, uh, yeah. that does not ensure the uh, propagation of humanity. No, yeah, not, in other words, uh, the cavemen are having sex. They're not going to like, oh, let me give this woman pleasure. They're going to be like, let me get it in and get out before the next guy yeah. comes and clubs me to death. So do you think that over time, should I, would you think that I... All right, this is all about Cam right well, now. I'm just what? saying, would, do you think that eventually it will be longer than 30 to 60 <laughs> seconds? Yeah, well... Um, every guy is different, Cam, and so certainly, you know, being able to really um, know that outer course uh, plays to your strengths, and so manual stimulation and oral stimulation and verbal seduction and using fantasy to all create arousal uh, is, is really is really important, um, and you know. Um, there are um, there's a good lidocaine spray or two out there that you can um, spray on the head of the penis that also helps with um, uh, early ejaculation. I think once you just know that you sort of are on top of the problem and that the problem isn't dominating you, a certain calmness can be had that eliminates some anxiety, and so mm -hmm. that can also help. Certainly, um, aging and familiarity with a partner. Um, can help and and for some men um taking a low dose of an ssri um on demand ssris are common medications that are used to treat anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and have the side effect of delaying ejaculation so for many men who don't suffer from pe who are on ssris they have a different problem which is they can't always reach orgasm right. but for a guy who suffers from pe who really can't get they passed a certain um, 
milestone um, over time, I, I might recommend trying a low dose of an SSRI. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that in our listeners know that I suffer from a, a little anxiety, uh, <laughs> and I wonder what the correlation is between anxiety and premature ejaculation. If we even had a, uh, a male escort companion come on the show, so this is a guy that basically is an escort to women, and he was like, I asked him straight up if I would be able to be do what he does, and he was like, I don't think it's a good fit for you. <laughs> Cam and would I, not right. make a good. And escort. I asked him why, and he was like, You're just too excitable, and that that energy reads immediately. So I, uh-huh. I, I wonder if that you know I'm excitable in both personality and penis. It seems. <laughs> oh my god! Sure, sure. So uh, I don't know excitability. Uh, may or may not be seductive to some women, but, um, you know, I can't comment on that. But um, um, uh, I, I can say that uh, anxiety uh, can be a contributing factor to PE. It's usually not the source of PE unless it's very early in the courtship process and there's a lot of newness and anxiety yeah. around uh, initial sex. Um so I have heard, you know, situational premature ejaculation does occur in those cases. But in cases of chronic PE, where a guy is pretty much going to ejaculate within 30 to 60 seconds with a partner who he's interested in being with, anxiety definitely plays a contributing factor. So I have a, a lot of men, for example, who suffer from PE and they're working on um, um, kind of calming themselves down and using mindfulness and sort of getting really slowed down in their brain and in their body. And let's just say that there's a, a kid in the other room and suddenly they hear that those, those kids, uh, that baby will cry or those, that kid sort of walking around in the living room or even if there's a dog out there rustling can immediately trigger uh, the ejaculatory reflex. So oh, anxiety that, is yeah. definitely wired into the ejaculatory reflex. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Back to the caveman days. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, I also wonder about my friends who experience ED. The opposite. It yeah. seems like everyone falls into one of these camps. I, I know very few guys who are just like totally satisfied the first time that they have sex uh, with a new person, especially. Um, yeah. Why is like, it so difficult Like for guys that uh, I know plenty of guys have come to me and said that they, they can't keep uh, an erection um, even after... You're trying with different partners and whatever they, they I think they gotten it they get into their mindset that they are unable to achieve an erection and then it kind of like goes in a, a um, snowball yeah. effect you know yeah I mean it's it's interesting I mean certainly erectile disorder um, you know can have you know physiological organic factors and definitely uh, men of a certain age you know generally fifty plus can definitely start to deal with erectile impairment and, and instability. But I do work a lot with a, a whole generation of uh, young men who are sort of like millennials, basically, who um, suffer from, you know, pretty bad psychological erectile disorder. They have real issues um, gaining and maintaining erections. And uh, Is it because of porn? No, no. I could, I could definitely rule out uh, porn because wow. there are... Plenty and plenty of men who, um, you know, watch porn and don't have these issues. I mean, the media creates such a um, 
so much um, urgency and uh, there's so much fear around porn um, and thinking about, you know, porn-induced erectile disorder and whatnot. There's really, in my experience and in my opinion, uh, and I read a lot of the articles and research, there's no real research to indicate um, uh, that porn in any kind of long-term way um, alters, you know, brain structures such that would cause um, ED. Now, is porn uh, novel and visual and exciting? Is it a sexual cue that, you know, stimulates the brain's, you know, wanting mechanisms? Sure. Can that be a problem for some men? Absolutely. Is it a problem for all men or most men? No, not at all. But, you know, we live in a very Victorian culture. Um, There's a lot of fear and fear-mongering around sexuality. And um, this country has been uncomfortable with masturbation going back to, uh, you know, the early 19th century. And so um, really our discomfort with porn is really around our just our discomfort with masturbation um, and sex. Do you, do, do, do you like, um, do I like, do you approve of couples watching porn together? Absolutely. It's one of the um, suggestions that I make to couples um, who are coming in with a variety of different issues. Sometimes couples come in and, wow, sex has become really boring and lacks psychological excitement. Yeah, we, or, get, that. we get that question all the time. What do we do when it just, it, the novelty wears off after so many years with you know, kids, sure. et cetera? Or, or, or couples coming in and their sex script lacks in um, seduction and it goes almost straight to intercourse and has become really banal and having sex is about as exciting as brushing your teeth together in the bathroom. Mm. And it doesn't have anything Uh, to do with, you know, how attractive the people are either. It just has to do with the same person. Yeah, it has to do, I guess, with familiarity, a loss of eroticism, not really having eroticism cultivated in the first place, just relying on kind of physical attraction uh, in the beginning of a relationship, but not really cultivating an erotic relationship uh, beyond that. Um, But to come back to, so I do recommend porn uh, in a number of different ways um, for a number of different issues to help couples uh, get a little more stimulated, to relax, to, you know, take their minds off of anxiety uh, in different ways. But to come back to just men, you know, who are 20-something and 30-something who are suffering from ED, um, I do not notice porn as a common thread. What I notice as a common thread is that these are all men um, who have been raised in a society that creates expectations around different aspects of performance. So it's, you know, doing Mm. well in school, doing well socially, doing well on SATs, acing a job interview, acing your first day of work, um, um, being a good friend. You know, these are all things that were brought up to do well, being competitive in sports, you know, winning without even being hyper focused on winning, we are focused on accomplishing goals. And with almost any goal that you look at in life, it is possible to get um, scaffolded, supported, tutored, and talked to around that goal, hmm. but not the case with sex. So I look at a lot of men's first sexual experiences as sort of like, you know, um, being put up on a diving board above a pool 50 feet high and you haven't even really been swimming much. Maybe you've dipped your toes into the shallow end 
and suddenly you got to do like a double flip off that diving board. Yeah. And but, men are terrified. So and what do you do? That fe- What's that? So what can the guy do? Um, at what point? When he's first starting out or when he now has this uh, anxiety? Because if that's the thing, the anxiety becomes almost viral. It just becomes a, a perpetual feedback loop. And, you know, if you if you look at the guys who are coming in at 30 who suffer from ED, they've had the same anxiety and fears, you know, often going back, you know, into their early adulthood. So how do you typically treat guys like that? It's, it's A, it's digging into the work and understanding each person's uh, individual story, understanding if they're single or partnered, that can change a lot. You know, if they're single, they have to be scaffolded in a way in which they can, you know, meet other people um, and be sexual, meet new people and be sexual. If they're in a relationship, so much depends. I really want to get the partner in there because the worst thing that would happen is if a guy is partnered with somebody who doesn't understand this. Why isn't he getting erections? Why isn't he performing like a guy? Is this about me? Is this about my attractiveness? Or why can't we just have sex like a normal couple? I just want to have intercourse like a normal person. So it's really important for me to get a partner in there as well. Um, But generally, um, what I would do is really try and um, get to the source of the issue. So is this an anxiety issue? Say is say this, it is an anxiety it, issue because I think typically that that you know you have one bad experience. It could experience. be an attraction issue. It could be an attraction issue as well, though, Karen. I mean, sometimes uh, people are picking partners and picking boyfriends and girlfriends, and they're feeling like, oh, now that I'm interested in a relationship, sex is not the most important thing for me to be thinking about, or maybe it's mm. not even number one through five on the list. So. Sometimes people, sometimes men experience erectile disorder because they're not actually that aroused by their partner. Maybe they're not attracted to their partner or maybe the sex isn't arousing. Maybe there's a difference in their erotic temperaments and what turns them on. But generally, like to cut to the chase, I want to get to the source of the problem. And once I can get to the source of the problem, I can start to come up with a solution. So in some cases, um, in almost all cases, I'm going to ask that guy for the short term to get a prescription of sedenafil, which is the generic version of Viagra. Oh, uh, that's what ask I was going to ask you. Yeah, so that's, yeah it's that's not okay. forever. Yeah. It's not forever, and you're not going to get addicted to it or dependent on okay. it. And you can easily, like, taper off of it, but it works. Um, okay, and, that, that to and, me was, is a very helpful uh, solution in the short term I because I'm talking about several, several young guys have said to me that, they just have gotten into their head that they can't get it up every time they're with a new person, even if they're very sexually attracted to the person. It's become like a self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing. Right. But if they take sometimes a little bit of this Viagra. Needs, and sometimes a guy only needs it, needs it for the first two or three sexual encounters just to yeah. get over that sort of hump of new sex. But again, I wouldn't recommend Viagra without also wanting to get to um, the psychological source of the problem. Sure, sure. So, you know, it may be shifting away from the penis towards outer course and creating deeper, firmer, like, arousal states. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, sometimes a guy can have an erection um, and think, okay, I'm aroused. I have this erection. I'm worried about it going away. Better use it very quickly. Well, that guy may have an erection in the moment, but it doesn't mean that he's aroused enough both physiologically yeah. and psychologically to really sustain that erection. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'll work on different arousal techniques. I'll work on going from intercourse to outer course. I'll use uh, 
mindfulness techniques and cognitive behavioral techniques. I might suggest another medication in combination uh, that can be a little more anxiety reducing. So it, it's there isn't one. Yeah, there's no answer, magic wand. But there are solutions, Great. and yeah. there are combinations of sort of standard buckets of solutions that need to be brought together. Another key to being in shape for great sex is taking the right vitamin supplements. That is absolutely correct. And one of the ways to do that is through... Care Of. Care Of is a subscription-based vitamin service that will deliver personalized boxes of daily packs of vitamins directly to your door. Which I am now addicted to. They're incredible. (laughs) You go online. I didn't know what the hell type of vitamins I needed. And then you take a little quiz that they give you. It's only five minutes long. And you find out you need a lot of vitamins. (laughs) They will give you exactly the vitamins you need. And they'll send it to you every month in these individual packets. That's what I love. And they have little quotes on there, too, that are inspirational. Well, the packets are good for you especially because typically you take... 400 different vitamins no, they're I've, all flying everywhere yeah, that's you true. open up bottles some of them are empty some of them are full it's a, it's a nightmare it's, especially if i have to go out to lunch and then i brought to bring them in a baggie and then the bag opens up in my purse and all over the bottom of my purse are all the little vitamins how do they get it for 30 percent off your first care of order that's awesome 30 percent off go to takecareof.com and enter promo code mom 30 that's mom 30 so go to takecareof.com and enter Mom 30, you'll get 30% off. Take control of your life. Can I ask something about the outer course? Or, you know, you mentioned a lot about focusing on the woman so that, you know, and that's one of the main things that, that would help you from focusing on your own anxiety. So, what are the top three recommendations for focusing on a woman's orgasm or helping her achieve it? Um, what do you think they are? Let me oh, put it, throw it I have back some on ideas, me. but let me put it back on you. You're the woman in the room. Okay. Well, a big part of it is, the, to me, it's the buildup. It's the it's the foreplay. It's the tease, um, even before touching a woman's vulva. That's mm-hmm. number one. Uh, number two, uh, just paying very close attention to her, and um, you know, talking using all the erogenous zones as well, not just the actual vulva, the vagina, the clit, and all that. Just not, don't go running down there at the beginning, and and to and to communicate. The most important thing to me is is communicating with the woman and finding out what really turns her on. Many women don't even know. Many women haven't even figured out their own, you know, through masturbation, their own ways of getting orgasm. So, uh, those are my top three. I'm curious. Okay, so what do you think of those? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that those are, uh, you know, beautiful tips. Um, I might, you know, uh, augment or amplify a little bit, you know, from what I hear from my patients, both men and women. Um, but maybe I'll focus on what I'm hearing from women is feeling, um, if you're in a long-term relationship, feeling relationally connected to that person, mm. liking that person, uh, feeling liked by that person, creating, um, creating a sort of a window in the relationship where you can still have fun, where you can still be sexy, where you can still sort of tap into some kind of erotic energy, even if it doesn't always lead to sex, you know? So I would say having sort of an erotic channel that's open in a relationship that um, is a good, solid, stable relationship. I mean, healthy sex, I think, also depends upon having a, a healthy relationship. Can, is, uh, this, is, is that... Uh, required for men as well, or do you typically see that more as a prerequisite for women? 
Um, I hear it a little more um, in women, um, just in terms of um, that men can often feel um, like what I would call reflex-based desire or spontaneous desire, even if they're angry at their partner, even if they're upset about something, uh, even if there's a bigger issue they need to resolve, they can still sometimes really get that reflex-based desire if their partner's coming out of the shower or their look partner looks uh, particularly sexy. So for men, desire can sometimes, um, the reflex, the spontaneous nature of desire that many men experience can sometimes cut through those inhibitors of like feeling disconnected, feeling like you're not being seen or heard or validated in some way. So creating that sort of relation, positive relational environment, it's important to men and women. It's important to the couple. But as a prerequisite for um, for being sexual, I hear it more in women than in men. Gotcha. Um, uh, the second thing that I would say is um, creating an environment where exciters are stronger than inhibitors. So the things that turn you on, um, whatever they are, whether it's kissing, touch, smell, fantasy, where those have a chance to build up in a way in which they're not overwhelmed by like a crying baby in the other room or roommates in the other room or feeling terrible in your own body. Like, so wanting, and that's sort of the first point too, creating an environment where the exciters are stronger than the inhibitors. I love the that, by that the I, way. That's a, that's very very good way of putting it. And I like your your erotic channel. That's that's another really. <laughs> thank you. She's taking thank notes you. over here. I literally am taking notes. <laughs> the other thing that I would say that is important that a lot of men uh, miss is um, once you've established sort of a little bit of safety and security or stability in the sexual environment, is being able to. Um, cultivate psychological excitement, not just physical excitement. So yes, foreplay is hugely important. You know, the kissing, the touching, the percolating, the simmering. If we could just like focus on words like percolating and simmering and expanding, those are all good words for men uh, to really know about female sexuality because that helps female desire, which is not always spontaneous, which is not always a reflex, to sort of come on board in a more palpable way. But I think what men really miss is, for women, what uh, a turn on the brain is and being able to share a fantasy or to go into a language that's eroticizing, that's not necessarily the language you use when you're putting together a list of groceries and who's going to go to Whole Foods, right. you know, like it's interesting. It's interesting be- that you're saying that, Ian, because Cam and I have had this dis- dis- disagreement since we started this um, podcast, because I'm always about like, Cam, it's super important to fantasize during sex, because to me, that's that's what turns me on. Even if I'm not fantasizing about my partner, I'm still having, you know, a, a great build up to an orgasm if I'm fantasizing about whatever. He's like, well, mom, I totally think it's more important to be present with your partner and just focus completely on your partner and and the use of fantasies is is takes you away from what you're doing is am i right well let me pipe in and just say <laughs> i don't dis i think fantasies can be very useful for for all these reasons but i also think that there is there's a place for presence and and being in the moment with the physical sensations and the other person right uh, i agree with you both and i think both are possible and you know some studies have shown that um what happens in the female brain versus the male brain during sexual arousal is a little different. And uh, for women, 
parts of the brain that are associated with um, stress, um, anxiety, that those parts of the brain really need to fully deactivate for a woman to get uh, aroused and have orgasm. So it's literally like if you were doing an fMRI scan of a, of a woman during sexual arousal, a part of her brain would be turning off while another part is turning on. So fantasy, uh, a lot of women fantasize more during sex than men do. Hmm. Men do tend to be a little more visually focused in the present, in the tactile experience. And not to say that women don't enjoy the tactile experience, um, but being able to um, distract yourself with a fantasy or being able to go into a fantasy is a way for a woman to turn off that part of the brain that's sort of um, anxiety sensitive. So I think that fantasy does play a different role um, during sex for women than it does for men. Yeah. I, I, what I, another thing that I'm fascinated by is trust and how important it is in order for people to experience orgasms, especially women. And why do you think there's that connection between uh, trust and, or, or why, why do people need to be in that relaxed state to experience that orgasm? Well, I mean, I think that, um, first of all, it depends where you are in the, in the life cycle. I mean, for a lot of, I mean, sex has different functions. At its purest function, it's procreative, but we know that it can also be uh, relational and it can feel like lovemaking or a merging of souls or uh, a, a deeper intimate experience. And it can also be uh, highly recreational and, and fun and sexy and creative and if I think about relational and recreational, well, at the heart of real lovemaking um, is trust. It's, 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 it's not just trusting that your partner loves you or is being faithful. It's also trusting that you can be intimate and you can be vulnerable right. and you can feel judgment-free. So that kind of trust is very important. But then if you think about it, like if I'm going to tie somebody up or if I'm going to be tied up or if I want to like make Fifty Shades of Grey a reality right. or I want to bring somebody into the bedroom to play with us, that also requires a high degree of trust. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to trust that my, par my, my partner knows my safe word or that my partner can still be focused on me, that my partner can observe boundaries. So I do think in that sense, trust is at the heart of both relational and recreational sex. Yeah, it's interesting that you're using the terms re re relational and recreational, and I love how your book breaks that down. I mean, in this in in this sense, recreational is kind of like casual sex. Am I correct? No. Yeah. No. It, 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 it can be. It can be. You can be in a stage of your life, uh, either at a at a you know like um, oh I guess a right. college student or coming off a divorce even where maybe you're just like shit i want to have some fun sex i have like i'm into exploring and learning and expanding my own uh horizons and that's one version of recreational sex um but i think being able to be recreational in a relationship that, that's, I think that's why a i said quality, no <laughs> that's a quality that's lacking for many couples is the sex is relational we make love hopefully Right, we and it's so are boring. A couple. <laughs> right, it but is. is it is so fun? boring for someone. I've been in a twenty-four year marriage, and then I was in, a, and now I'm currently in an eleven year relationship. If you just want it to be, let's just you know, really deep and you know, have a soul connection. It's it, it just. I don't care who you're with. You're going to get bored. You need to spice it up. 
What what do you think about for, I guess it's interesting because my interpretation when you said recreational has always been casual sex because I'm not in a relationship. And so what are, what are your thoughts on casual sex? Uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. And and also he's concerned about diseases, I'm sure. We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, Let me just, um, you know, tie the loop here and say that my approach to sex is rec relational. Oh, I like a rec relational approach to to sexuality. I like that too. Um, Ian. What does it mean? Well, it means that it's both relational and recreational that we are committed and in a relational structure together, whatever that structure is, but that we're also committed to fun and individuation and what turns us on and being able to eroticize and objectify and uh, our partners, you know. Are so you married right now? Yeah, I've been married for 20 years. Wow. And uh, are are you guys monogamous? We are totally monogamous, 100% monogamous. Yay, so that can work. (laughs) Yeah, I think it totally can work. I mean, I'll tell you what works in my favor with my wife is, um, um, one, um, we have a lot of sexual chemistry. Like, we picked each other with attraction in mind. Like, I wasn't bottom putting putting sexual attraction at the bottom of the list i'm so glad you mentioned that ian because truthfully i think a lot of people think that if they have a really strong like friendship that that can make their sexual any it can turn into sexual and it can be in it can be got but i'm believing i'm a firm believer and there has to be that sexual chemistry from the get-go absolutely let me say like i think being married and being parents is so hard that if I didn't actually also want to have sex with my wife, like, I don't think I'd still be in the relationship. Wow. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you. I I think that that sexual attraction is like a glue that keeps us together through a lot of adversity. Yeah. I I mean, do you think that a, a good relationship can even exist if it doesn't have that good sexual chemistry? You know, honestly, I do this work, I'm known for this work, and I have a, a predisposition towards the importance of sex and honoring sex, and um, I, I would say that it would be difficult to improbable to really maintain a healthy, long-term monogamous relationship that does not have um, levels of sexual attraction and interest, and that the hardest couples I work with are the ones who um, are trying to create something where it wasn't really there in the first place. Wow, wow. that's huge. Yeah. I mean, so could we, t- so, you know, it would go then to say, like, hey, maybe you should incorporate sex a little earlier on in the relationship just to make sure you guys are compatible. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, sometimes, sometimes couples are physically attracted to each other. And that drives the infatuation and the first couple of years. And because there's so much newness, that's creating its own version of stimulation and excitement. And sometimes two people that are physically very attracted to each other can find like a couple of years in like, wow, we are, our sexual personalities are are very, very different and Mm. we're not nearly as compatible sexually as we thought we were yeah so i think having both that core physical sexual chemistry and attraction but also being able to honor or understand your own sexual temperament and what erotically turns you on and would you add to that being able to grow as a sexual couple yeah yeah of course being able to grow um expand 
being able for uh, to understand that sex changes over the course of the life cycle and that you may start out being the high desire partner and end up being a low desire partner or you may have a perfect erectile function and then lose it or mm. you may uh have issues with orgasms at at some point in in your life and yes being able to expand your um erotic templates together do, you know do, what works for me what works for me and my wife the other thing is that um our sexual personalities are kind of aligned like neither of us are particular thrill seekers um if we were both thrill seekers that would be great too but the problem can be if one person's yeah. really like an adventurer and the other person is like uh less is more yeah yeah we we've run into that on our show actually yeah. with a couple that came on with this exact issue and when I asked you if it's necessary to have good sex, I kind of ha- had them in mind because I'm like, they, they seem to love each other, but they, they're they clearly not satisfying each other sexually. Do, and I had another question regarding women in particular. Do women, as they age, do they have a more difficult time, If even if their sexual relationship and, and chemistry is all there, do, do you find that women have a harder time achieving orgasm as they age? Or um, not, not achieving it, but do, are they, do they diminish in quality or... Or, um... I mean, I, I think I think sex is so tied into so many different aspects of life, including health and lifestyle and well-being and medication and self-esteem and, and body image. And I think any of those factors at any age can impact desire, arousal, uh, and orgasm. And certainly for women who are perimenopausal and postmenopausal, there may be, you know, hormonal shifts that are really having an effect on some aspect of sexual function like desire, arousal, or, or orgasm. Um, but in, my, in most cases, I've found that, um, you know, um, women are able to address that. So can I, I would love to just get into STDs because when I read your book, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is the solution. I will never have another sexual-related problem again. I'm just going to go down on every woman I meet. And uh-huh. and then I get to the chapter that's like, you might want to put the brakes on there for a little bit because you could definitely get diseases uh, in your mouth. You can transfer that back to the partner if you have a disease. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm a little less. I mean, listen, I mean, there's no such thing as absolutely safe sex, unfortunately. Sex involves, um, you know, the commingling of bodies and and fluids and so i mean you have to you have to focus on safer sex i think that cunnilingus uh is definitely on the spectrum a safer sex activity Hmm. Um, even even with the herpes well no i mean herpes is uh i mean herpes is going to really shift the dialogue i mean that's you know about uh you know a third of young people now have some version of herpes and um uh, herpes can uh, can be transmitted during sex, during intercourse. Um, there are certain STDs that absolutely can be um, transmitted orally. So, yeah, I mean, these, these are real issues. Unfortunately, I don't really have the answer. There's no such thing as perfectly safe sex. But I know that there is perfectly transparent communication. That's right. And, and um, that's important. If been, and if you've been tested and if you know your own health history and your partner is... Um, you know, you can you can definitely achieve uh, extremely you know safer sex. Yeah. Well, what would happen you, if they if the person says, you know, I just want to be completely transparent. I have herpes. Should the should the person can you know if you, would you would you take the risk and have sex with this person? 
I know a lot of people. Uh, I know a lot of um, people are in relationships with people who have herpes who it has not been transmitted to. I know a lot of men who are dating with herpes who have it under control. They're not having any sort of a uh, outbreak or issue, or if they are, they're sort of uh, being open and upfront about that and being cautious. So again, I do think it comes down to honesty and communication, and I think you know some degree of. Um, you know, partner assessment. Um, you know, there has been correlations um, looking at college study, looking at college kids. You know, between uh, drinking and rates of casual sex, and then rates of um, you know SDI proliferation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that case, it's probably not just a case of the STI. It's really about oh, are you really disinhibiting your senses and um, sort of. Um, hobbling your ability to assess correctly? Are you um, making poor choices when you're drunk? Are you picking people who have also made poor choices because they may be drunk and having sex with you as well? I mean, every every choice is potentially uh, increasing the possibility. Right. I mean, so for me, it's very easy to have clear communication. I think at, at 30, it's like I'm very confident in saying, hey, What's what's the STD situation like over here in in mm-hmm. a kinder way? He gives them but, a, like a hundred questionnaire before <laughs> he even comes close but, to kissing them. But the you know the issue is that a lot of the times they've been tested, say in the last three months, but they might have had a partner between then and now, and so and they might not be expressing any sort of symptoms. But I'm aware that there are a lot of STDs that go unannounced. And, and so then I still get in my head, I'm like, well, we're back to square one. You know, if if, if that person had any sort of STDs, maybe they had a rampant sex life and they had tons of sexual partners, they gave you a sex, you know, I mean, what's the, per- do you, should we basically be just getting tested after every sexual interaction or every new partner? Um, if I were, if I were single, I'd probably be considering doing that. Yeah. If I were single and I really was. Uh, anxious about safety, and I thought, you know, like um, I may be in a group or a cohort where there's a high possibility of STIs, and yeah, anytime I was going to be sexual with somebody, I would really want to talk about, you know, sexual history. Yeah. I, so is it, but like how, <laughs> am I just being a, an anxious neurotic? Like, is it that important? Is it okay if I just get an STD once in a while? Or is no, it something that... No, I mean, it, but herpes lasts forever. What do you mean, is it okay? But but herpes is not that bad. Like, I mean, Ian, I, is, everyone is herpes, I know has herpes. Is, is herpes, like, just acceptable to have? Is it um, acceptable? Well, I mean, I like, would you want to have that? It's, much, it's acceptable because it's much more common and prevalent. Um yeah, literally everyone it's I know has herpes. It's definitely a manageable condition, but, you know, there are plenty of people who, you know, have made decisions to be monogamous with people who have herpes who have, um, who now have herpes and who also are managing it. So, so that's what I'm saying. Is it, it's, is it worth the risk, though? If someone says, yes, I definitely have herpes, is it, if you don't even know the person and you're just you're thinking, well, I, I might get in a relationship. You know, I think it's, I think... I think, Karen, it's also so prevalent and common that these are just the kinds of decisions that young people have to make, you know, maybe with, with, with um, you know, a little bit of a thicker skin. Like, you know, I mean, I have a lot of uh, my patients are, you know, um, gay men who, um, you know, I personally, I, I'm not gay, but I grew up in the age of AIDS and I was uh, terrified about AIDS. 
uh, and I saw a lot of my gay friends got ill, um, and I, I myself was worried. But today's, you know, young gay men are, are living in an age where they can take PrEP, which keeps HIV at nominally zero, um, and they can be much more um, sort of audacious and, and cavalier about their sexual decisions and care less and don't don't think of that as being as much of a problem. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I guess I still don't have, I don't know when the green light is. Like, what what do they have to say in order for me to say, <laughs> okay, we're good, let's go you, forward. You go for an STD test together. I know. What, <laughs> what would it. you do if you were my age and you were single? What would you do, Ian? Um, what would I do, Cam? I guess I would, uh, I mean, I'm not you, like, and... Uh, it's it's it, it's it's truly hard for me to say. I mean, I would I would be out there seeking, and I'd be looking, and I'd be wanting to be sexual, um, and I would be prudent and careful about my choices, and I would try and make responsible choices. And I if I thought that there was somebody that I was going to get re- really get into a sexual situation with, I would a you know have to talk to them about their sexual history, I'd have to know how recently they had had sex. And I may need to be able to postpone certain sex acts or, you know, postpone the process in order uh, for, for either or both parties to get tested. Okay. I mean, that's kind of... I mean, what... I can't... Ret- I'm not going to stop seeking. My, my desire is not going to turn off my, my desire to, to be sexual, to be intimate. Um, you know, so much of what we're talking about, whether it's with early ejaculation or with, you know, ED or with simmering or percolating, like... Sex, especially for men, can be so um, impulsive and mm-hmm. can be such a, a total sort of taking over, like possession of the body. And I mean, I think in, in many cases, um, you have to be able to put on the brakes yeah. in sexual situations. Well, that's right? very, we that's have very a sexual easy. excitation system <laughs> uh, and a sexual inhibition system. Don't worry and about Cam, by the way. Okay, his brakes the, inhi- the inhibition system is quite strong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But so we do have to, in many, many different sexual situations, we have to be able to apply the brakes. Does it mean come to a full stop? Does it mean we can't start again? No. But do we need to be able to hit the brakes when we need to? Absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, in my situation, I think it's a, it's more of it, disinhibiting uh, because I kind of just get in my head and I'm like, well, fuck all this. It's going to be 30 seconds of, of bliss and then followed by... A uh, whole panel of STDs. It, it, it's like it, eating a chocolate cake. Should you, you eat the two the two minutes of pleasure for the gaining the two pounds afterwards? Well, we'll see. Oh, we know. I know uh, we're coming up on time over here. Um, so I I wanted to just wrap things up. If people wanted to find your work, how do they find you? Uh, I would say probably just through my website, iankerner dot com. Okay. Can you, can you give Cam your phone number so we can call you every night and ask you these questions? You know, Cam, anxiety is um, a smoke detector. It's really designed to help us uh, discern um, near experience danger and keep us out of harm's way. And so, you know, uh, for most of us, though, living in the modern world, our smoke detectors are always going off. And, you know... 99 times out of 100, we'll just like flip the switch and say, you know, turn off the smoke detector. But it is designed, I mean, you have this smoke detector for a real reason. So your fears um, 
can be validated and and they're real um but you just have to recognize when the smoke detector is going off and it doesn't need to yeah i think i'm gonna take that little clip of our interview and just repeat it in my car every morning. <laughs> that is mantra. a wonderful, yeah, that is a wonderful mantra. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ian. I mean, this has been a very big help to, Absolutely. I think not just Cam, lovely. but to me as well. Lovely to talk to both of you. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks, you Ian. were blessed. She comes first, baby. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 